Lord, we're, we're hopeful that you will, in your own unique way, meet us where we need to be met. We know that nothing interrupts living quite like failure. And Lord, where, where we've failed, whether we've seen it or not, uh, we pray in the same way that you brought restoration to Peter, you'd bring restoration to our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, no one wakes up in the morning and plans to fail, looks forward to failing. No one gets up in the morning and says, man, I, I, I can't wait to bomb that test. Or, or, or no one gets up and while you're having your morning coffee, you look over at your husband and say, you know what? I think I'm going to disappoint my boss today. Uh, you, you, you don't think, I just haven't offended my wife enough. Uh, you, you, no one thinks this way. No one plans to fail. And yet, Failure happens. It happens to all of us. Uh, in fact, it's interesting. One of the most popular hashtags that exists today is uh, this line, Pinterest fail. Some of you know this because you've posted your own things to this. And Pinterest fail is, is all about uh, this website or this social networking, Pinterest, this, this world where uh, the world of, of, of crafts and baking and all these kind of creative things and people who try to replicate or imitate these, these amazing things people have made and then when they create their own version of it, realize how far they have come from the original version. For, exa- for example, um, there's this bunny pancake here. Imagine getting up and making this bunny. I, I mean, how cute is that? How great would that be to make for your family? Uh, they, they all sit around the table and they're greeted by this. But instead, you create this, right? You're, <laughs> you know, you're... And your kids are like, ah! like, mom, why? Why would you do that to me? I mean, you can, I'll leave you to yourself. You can get, I'll show you one just quick other one. I love the minion cake right here. The top one is the goal, the bottom one. And I love the, the the phrase that goes with it a lot of the time is nailed it, right? So I, uh, some of you, some of you have nailed it, you know, and you're like, oh man, this is what an epic waste of of time and money. Uh, None of us likes to fail uh, because nothing seems to interrupt living more than failure. Nothing seems to just kind of intercept our progress more than failure. And when failure happens, it affects us physically, it affects us emotionally, it affects us spiritually. When you fail God, when you feel like you failed God, you feel it. You feel guilt and shame. You avoid God. You, you, you run from God. And you start to wonder things like, if, I would, if I'm capable of doing this, do I really love God? Or maybe worse, how could God love me if, if, if this is what I'm capable of? And when we begin to think this, or, or how could God use someone like me? And we have all these doubts and all these things that happen. And yet, and yet, if you look at the story of Scripture, the story of what God is doing in redeeming his creation— What you see is that God, time and again, chooses people who seem to just keep failing him. Whether it's Abraham and his lying, or Moses and his anger and his complaining, or David. David with adultery, murder, or or as we saw in the video there, Peter. The, the, the guy that Jesus is grooming to be the leader of the church and yet can deny him three times. Deny that he's associated, affiliated with him, that he's, he belongs to him three times. 
And yet, and, and you saw in that clip, it's, it's interesting in that the kind of the historic Jesus film, it's, it's captured from Luke's gospel. Think about this. Think about failing Jesus and then looking him directly in the eye. Luke says it this way. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And verse 62, I think we all understand what this would felt like. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, if you failed Jesus right in front of him as epically as, as Peter did there, if he was grooming you himself to be the leader of, of, of his movement and you, you, you let him down in such a profound way and then you looked right at him and saw that and you felt the failure, I mean, of course you would go outside and of course you would leave and, and weep bitterly. And yet that's not the end of Peter's story. And this is the, the, the great news for us as we see, because what we see in the life of Peter and what we've seen in the story of Peter is that, that our failures are not fatal. They, they don't end our life. They, they, they can interrupt our life, but our failures are not fatal. And that's why today's big, big idea is so important. I realize we give you 52 big ideas and how can you memorize them all? I, I can't even, I write them. Uh, but I want to encourage you. If there's one I want you to work hard to remember, it's what we're working at today. At least the concept of it is this. So the big idea we're looking at today is that when we do life with Jesus, we find ourselves being restored. Being restored. In fact, I want you to circle that word being uh, on, your, on your note page there. Because the restoration, when we come to Jesus, there's, there is a life. There, there's a restoration that happens in an instant. When you come to faith, when you place your faith, when you say, Jesus, please enter my life, take over my life. I want to belong to you. I give you my heart, my life. And in an instant, your sins are wiped away in that moment of faith. The the spirit of God invades you and fills your life. And in a moment, you are restored. You are made right before God. And yet, what you begin to discover in that life that you, you start in that moment is that there's this restoration process. There's a process in which God is making you more like Jesus Christ. We call it Christ-likeness. There is a restoration process. And so while we are restored, we're made right in a moment, there's also what we call sanctification. There's this, 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 this building of this new life, this restoration that God is doing. And this is so important for us to see and, and embrace because we're going to fail. Uh, you know, we, we, we fail in relationships, we, we fail in, in finance. Uh, we fail classes. I, I was a business major until I took pre-calc. Fail. Uh, move on to figure out what was next. None of us is immune to failure. All of us have failure in our future. I, I apologize for being the Debbie Downer of the morning for you. But we all have failure in our future. But the gospel is, the good news is this, is that, is that, God demonstrates his love for failures like us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't clean ourselves up. We didn't get it all right. It wasn't when we, we, we perfected ourselves that God said, now you're ready for me to love you. It was while we were sinners. This is the good news. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so this good news is, is important to us because we know that as we come to him, he is a restorer. He takes people like us who are broken and he begins a process of restoring us in a moment 
forever and in a process through our lifetime until we are fully restored in glory. And so what I want you to see is, I want you to see that, the, that there's more to the story of Peter. Uh, so turn to John 21. I want you to see what happened next. I want you to see what happened next. So this is one of the resurrection appearances. So we know from 1 Corinthians 15 that there were many different uh, resurrection appearances Jesus had over a period of 40 days. In fact, he appeared to up to 500 at one time. This is the third time that he's going to appear to all the disciples at once. But what I want you to see in this is this story that we're going to see resembles a, a significant moment in Peter's life. Peter, Peter was the brother of Andrew. Andrew had first kind of discovered Jesus. It says the first thing that Andrew did is he went and told his brother, we found the Messiah. He brought Simon, his brother, to, to meet Jesus. And, and Jesus, upon meeting, uh, upon meeting, his name wasn't Peter at the time. His, this is a nickname that Jesus gives him. His name is Simon. And Jesus meets him and says, Simon, son of Jonah, we're going to call you Peter. I mean, imagine that kind of, a kind of a unique greeting, kind of a unique meeting. I'm going to call you Peter, which means the rock. And somehow this friendship begins, and we don't quite know all the details of everything that's going on, but Peter was a fisherman. And so one day as Jesus is up against the, the lake, the crowds are pressing in, he begins to teach. And, and as everyone's coming, so he asked Peter, can, can I use one of your boats here? And he sits, gets in the boat and they push him out a little bit. So he has some room and he uses kind of like an amphitheater. He begins to speak. And Peter's been out the whole night with his brother and, and his partners. They've been fishing all night. They've caught nothing. Jesus finishes the teaching and he says, let's go out, Simon. Let's go back out and fish. Now, a professional fisherman knew not a good time. Not a good time to ask because we spent the entire night fishing and caught nothing. I just cleaned and washed all the nets, folded them up. But for whatever reason, Simon says, but because you ask, all right, I'll do it. And whether it was to show him up or whatever, we don't know quite why he did it, but they went out, they threw their nets back out, and the catch was so large that they'd call in another boat to kind of carry it all in. And the professional fisherman, Simon Peter, knew something. This, this was not luck. This wasn't one of those lucky fishing days. In fact, he was so convinced of that that he, he fell in the boat before Jesus. And he told him, go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. He recognized right there who he was in front of. And he realized his failure, his sinfulness. And he realized he had no business being, being in that position. But Jesus said something to him. He said, Peter, from now on, you will be a fisher of men. They left their nets. They left their career. They left their security. And they began to follow Jesus and walk with him. And Peter had these great moments along the way. He had these moments where it was obvious that Jesus was grooming him for something special. There were moments that Jesus would only pull aside three different disciples. And Peter was one of them. So when he raised a girl from the dead, Peter was in the room. He was one of the only few people that was in the room. When he took him up on a mountain and he transfigured and he saw, they, they saw his glory, Peter was there. He saw it. When they were sitting in a moment and he said, who do the people say I am? Peter's the one who spoke up and said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And, and Jesus said, my father showed you that, Peter. I mean, some special things were happening 
But Peter also had the ability, it seems, to put his foot in his mouth and to overreact and do things that he shouldn't have done. So think about this, this last week of Jesus' life, this last night of Jesus' life. Because this, this was a night of epic failure for Peter. Most of us only think about the, the denial. Think of how that night started. Remember, Jesus comes, he washes all the disciples' feet. When he comes to Peter, Peter says, never, I'll never let you wash my feet. So Jesus has to explain to him why I need to wash your feet. Okay, then wash every part of me. Peter, no, I just need to wash your feet. Can you stay with the program? Later that night, Jesus says to the disciples, all of you will leave me. You'll all desert me. Tremendous grief came over the room and Peter said, I will never leave you. Even if all of these, speaking of the disciples, the other disciples, even if all these other guys leave you, I will not leave you. I will die for you. And Jesus has to say to him, Peter, tonight, before the morning comes, when the rooster crows and the new day begins, by that time you will have denied me three times. And he predicts his denial. Later that night, remember, he, he goes, Jesus goes to pray in a garden. And he takes the three. He takes Peter with him and he says, my, my soul is so burdened. I need to pray and I need you to pray with me. And three different times Jesus comes back to see the disciples who were praying with him. And every time he comes back, they're asleep. Each time, you, can't you stay awake with me for one hour? And they can't do it. He's fallen asleep. And, and then right after that, the people come to arrest Jesus. Peter pulls out a, a knife. He reaches out. He takes off the ear of one of the servants. Jesus has to yell, no, stop. And he reaches out to the servant. He heals his ear. No, Peter, no, this is not how it's to be done. And they all scatter just as Jesus said he would. They would. And, and Peter finds himself then coming behind, trying to see what's going on. Probably him and John, they, they, they get an opportunity to get into the courtyard. As he's coming into the courtyard, a girl asks him. She says to him, you are with him. You're one of his, aren't you? No, 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 no. I don't, I'm not with him. He comes and he stands around this charcoal fire that's burning. He begins to warm his hands there. He's kind of standing there, kind of listening, kind of watching as Jesus is being held. And they say the same thing. You're with him, weren't you? No, he insists. Finally, someone says, of course he was with him. He's a Galilean. Listen to his accent. In fact, the, the guy, John says this, that the guy who's saying this, who's saying he was with him, he's saying this was the guy whose ear got cut off. He was related to him. And the guy's saying, look, didn't I just see you when we were in the garden? No, no, that wasn't me. I swear I don't know him. I don't have anything to do with him. And right there, the, the rooster crows. He remembers. He looks across the fire. And there's Jesus. They make eye contact. And you can imagine his heart sunk. His heart cut in two. And he runs off. And he leaves and he weeps bitterly. And there's no chance to apologize in the next hours, Jesus will be taken, he'll be beaten, he'll be crucified. Here's his dear friend, killed before him. He can never say he's sorry. He can never have closure to this. That's how Friday ends. Thursday and Friday, talk about incredible failure. I don't know that any of us could say we've experienced a spiritual failure like Peter 
experienced in that, in those, that 24-hour period. But then Sunday comes. And the word comes that Jesus has written, risen. The, the word comes to tell the disciples and Peter. We'll look at that in a moment. To go to Galilee and I'll meet him there. Later that night, remember that as we looked on Easter Sunday, there's these two, two that are walking on a road. Jesus appears. They run back to the upper room where all the disciples are. By the time they get there, the, the room is buzzing. Why? Because Peter and Jesus have met. They said he's appeared to Peter. They know it's true. And all of a sudden, Jesus is in their midst. Appearance number one, where they're all together. One guy's missing though, Thomas. A week later, Thomas is saying, there's no way I can believe it unless I can put my finger in the holes. Jesus appears. Thomas falls. He believes, my Lord and my God. So they have instructions. You are to go to Galilee. Wait for me there. I'll give you instructions. So finally now they go to Galilee. But, but they don't know what's going on. Jesus seems to appear and disappear kind of, kind of randomly, kind of on his own. We don't know when it's happening. So they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. They don't know when it's going to happen. And so Peter gets to the point and he says, I'm going fishing. And chapter 21 begins with him going fishing and, his, and some of the disciples said, we'll go with you. And so they go out and they go out in the boat and all night they fish and catch nothing. And it's very interesting because the more you begin to read chapter 21, the more you begin to think, I've read this story before. It's Luke chapter 5. I, I know this, this encounter. This is Luke chapter 5. This is when the, he first called them. And they fish all night and they catch nothing. And as the sun is coming up, this man comes on the shore. It was normal for men to sit from the shore where to throw their nets because they, maybe they could see something differently that was happening and give perspective. But the sun's coming up, so it's, he, the, the man on the shore is backlit. You can't see his face. And he, he cries out. This is what he says. He says, my boys, my boys, you haven't caught anything, have you? No, sir. Throw your net on the right side. And so they do. They take these nets, they throw them out, the weights hit, they start to go down. And all of a sudden there's such a violent tug that they can't even pull it in. And they, in that moment, it's kind of like a smell you smell or a song you hear and you're taken back to a, a previous point, a, a moment, a memory. And John cries out, it's the Lord. Peter takes his coat, puts it back on himself. He jumps in the water. He's so excited. He, he swims to the shore. They, they row the boat to the shore. They can't even, there's so many fish that they can't even pull the net into the boat. John says, I counted. I'm a fisherman. 153 big fish. We laid them all out. And they come to the shore. There's a fire that's burning there. There's fish and bread. Here's Jesus just right on the outskirts of where he had fed thousands of people fish and bread. Now he's prepared on his own. He has his own fish and bread now just again for his boys. And they enjoy a breakfast together. And notice what happens in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Let's stop there for a moment. First thing I want you to write down, two things I want you to see from this passage. The first thing is this. For this restoration to take place, Jesus restores us when he meets us in our failures. When he meets us in our failures. This meeting in Galilee has purpose. Mark chapter 16, verse 7. Remember, these are the words that, were, that they, the disciples were told. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Why does he signal out Peter? And Peter. That he's going ahead of you into Galilee. You'll see him there just as he's told you. Something very intentional is happening in this fire. One of the things that happened in the, in the, when Jesus was preparing them for, for deserting him, he, when this, all this happened with Peter when he predicted Peter's betrayal. He said these words, Peter, when you return, restore and, and love and care for your brothers. Jesus not only knew that he was going to fail, he knew that he was going to restore him. And so Jesus has set up a, he has a setting. They're sitting there. There's a fire, a charcoal fire. And it's an important word because that word is used only one other time in the New Testament. The only other time it's used in the New Testament is the charcoal fire that Peter was standing around when he denied Jesus. So Jesus has created this scene and as Peter's sitting there, all of a sudden, he realizes what's happening. Peter, do you love me more than these? Remember Peter's bold, bold uh, proclamation? Even if all of these betray you and deny you, I will not. I will die for you. So Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter can't even get the words out, can he? Jesus, you know I love you. When, see, when Jesus asks him, he says, Peter, do you love me? He uses this word that we use. We call it uh, agape or agapeo. He says, do you love me? Meaning, do you, do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me not because of emotion, but from the heart, from the will? Are you willing to love me no matter what? And Peter's response is different. Peter responds this way. Peter says, Jesus, you know I love you like a brother. He uses this word phileo, which we get Philadelphia, brotherly love. He says, Jesus, you know I love you. I love you like a brother. I love you with my heart. So Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And he asks the same word, do you love me, agapeo? Do you love me unconditionally, no matter what? And Peter says again, Jesus, you know I, I love you like a brother. A third time, Jesus asks him. But this time he changes the word. This time, the third time, he says, he says, Peter, do you love me like a brother? And it says that Peter was cut to the heart. He was grieved because Jesus asked him a third time. And Peter understands what's happening here. They're, they're entering into his deepest failure. Jesus is the great physician, but maybe a better declaration would be this or a better description would be that Jesus is the great surgeon. He is cutting right into the place, right where the tumor is, to remove the hurt and the burden and the soreness and the illness. He is going right to the heart of what ills Peter. He's going right to the failure. 
He's recreated the moment. He's, he's walking him through. And no question, as, there, as he looks across that fire now, it's a different experience. Every single time that he asks him, do you love me? You know I love you. Jesus says this, then feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my lambs. Every time, he, he doesn't just say to him, good. He says, I, and I have a job for you. Remember, I have a job for you. Take care of my sheep, take care of my lambs, feed my lambs. Each time, again, he asks, each time. As their eyes meet over the fire this time, there's forgiveness. There's restoration. There's calling. There's confirmation. Peter, you know who you are to me, right? You know you're the rock, right? You know you're the guy that I've been training and that I want to lead for me, right? You're my guy. Notice what he says next, verse 18. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you or bind you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. He says to him, Peter, don't ever forget, I have a plan for you. But that plan is going to be difficult. That plan is going to be hard. But I need you to trust me. No matter what it costs you, no matter where it leads you, follow me. It will not be easy. It will be painful. It will cost you your life but I know you can do it. And I know when you do it, God will get glory. Now, if you've ever heard the tradition, the tradition teaches us this, that Peter did do that. He did follow him. He did, all this was, an, uh, what you're hearing, I mean, you realize this illusion of stretching your hands out and someone else binding you. And John says, they, he said this by, to indicate the kind of death that Peter would die, that Peter himself would, would take up a cross, that Peter himself would be crucified. And tradition tells us this, that under the persecution of Nero, years later, Peter would give his life. He would be crucified. But when Peter came to be crucified, he insisted, don't, I am I, not worthy to be crucified in the manner of my Lord. And they crucified him upside down. Follow me. You and I live in an immediate culture that wants immediate results. And that makes people disposable sometimes to us. And, and so we project that onto God in the same kind of way. Look, if Peter was on, think of it. If you were in charge of, of God's team, you would have fired Peter, wouldn't you? You would have cut him. You would have said, we've got to find someone better, someone who's not going to let Jesus down to be our leader. But as Jesus restores Peter, you see that there is nobody, nobody, nobody more merciful, nobody more patient, nobody more graceful than God is with you. But to restore you, Jesus needs to meet you in your failure. He needs to open up the trouble spot and begin to work. But when he does that, when he meets you in your failure, when he says, I, I want to address this, I need to address this in your life, we, we need to cut out this illness. It is a strong message to you that God is saying, I am not done with you yet. 
It is a message of hope. It is a message of, of calling. It is a message of future. And so the gracefulness of God, he comes to us in our failure and he says, I am not done with you yet. And it might be painful in a moment, but it is life-giving. Why tell this story? If you were to look at the end of chapter 20, it almost looks like John's gospel could have ended right there. Why tell this story? It seems so that we have this incredible encounter of grace and mercy and restoration. Some of you feel like you've failed God. Some of you feel like you're failing God. And this moment, this encounter is for for you today to hear God is not done with you. Now, he may want to meet you in your failure, and, and that might sound painful. But it will be life-giving if you'll let him. Jesus restores us when he meets us in our failure. But then here's the last thing I want you to see is that Jesus restores us when he helps us stop comparing ourselves to others. They get up from the breakfast, they get up from the conversation, they begin to maybe walk along the shore or something. And Peter's had, man, that's a major bomb dropped on him. Follow me, you're gonna have to stretch out your hands. He knows what this means, they're talking about it. He notices John is, is following behind him. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Verse 21, Peter saw him and asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. What about him? What about her? I mean, aren't we prone to this? Don't you find yourself saying that all the time when it comes to living the life that Jesus has for you? As he's restoring you, as he's doing this work, as he's leading you to the things that he wants, both for you and to the people he wants to bless through you, that you keep looking to the left and the right or behind you over your shoulder saying, well, what about him? How can I, what if I can be more, how can I be more like this person or more like her? And he says, why are you doing that? Why aren't you trusting me? Why do you keep looking to the left and right? Why do you keep looking over your shoulder? Follow me. What does it matter if I want to do what I do here? What does it matter if I want to do what I do here? That's not your concern. You must follow me. His response to Peter is this. If you want to truly live, then stop worrying about everyone else and you follow me. Do you want to be alive? I mean, do you want to be truly alive? Then you have to decide today to follow Jesus and stop looking to the left and stop looking to the right and stop looking over your shoulder. You need to decide today to follow him wherever he's calling you, no matter what it costs you, no matter where he leads you. If you want to be alive, you have to follow him. And you say, but Lord, what about, he says, whoa, 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 whoa. What is that to you? You follow me. Do you want to be alive? Then stop comparing yourself and follow me. In a moment, we're going to have some time of reflection 
And I want you to think about this for a moment because as we walk into this story, I think it's important that we think about this. Some of you have been struggling with things. And today is a morning in which you have a chance to, to be honest with God about that. Some of you know that God has forgiven you and that he, he wants to restore you and that he is restoring you and he's, he's ready to move on, but you are not ready to, to take that in. And so in just a moment, our, our ushers are going to come and we're going to share in a time of, of communion, uh, of taking the Lord's Supper together. Jesus, on the last night of his life, he gave us something to remember him by. And so as they were having the, their supper together, their last meal together, he took bread and he broke it and he passed it to his disciples and he told them, this bread is to remind you of my body, which will be broken for you. Take and eat and remember me. He then took a cup and he passed it and he said, this cup, this represents my blood that will be shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. It represents this new work that God is doing, this new covenant that God has between you. I want you to drink it. And when you do, I want you to remember me. And so in just a moment, the bread and the cup are going to be passed to you. And I, and I want to invite you to, to walk into the story, to see the fire lit there. And to look across the fire. And I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. Where do you need to seek God's forgiveness? Where do you need to seek God's forgiveness? And where do you need to accept God's forgiveness? Where do you need to accept God's forgiveness? There's going to be some time as the the band plays, as the elements come to you. There's no rush. But as you sit looking across the fire at Jesus, as you hold these elements in your hand, when you're ready, take and eat the bread and remember him. Let him speak into your heart. Let him say, here's how I want to restore you. Here's how I want to work in your life. And when you're ready, take the bread, remember him. When you're ready, drink and remember him. There's nothing quite like the bread in the cup to, to really to demonstrate to you how committed Jesus is to walking in your brokenness with you, your failures, your sin. He has come to restore you. He's come to give you life. Remind yourself of, of, of this love, this love that says, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Know that his, his heart is to restore you. Let his grace pour out into your your life. There's a wonderful thing that the Apostle Paul says. He says this, that as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim his death until he comes again. This This is not a moment to beat yourself up over. This is a moment to experience grace and to know that there's a work of God happening. To find refreshed hope today but to know that God is restoring you, that he has not only come to take care and and, and to free you of these things, but that he's coming again. And that our restoration will will, will be in full. So there's there's a way of taking this that you enjoy 
God's work in your heart. So as the trays come to you, I want to encourage you. There's, uh, the cups are stacked together. There's two cups. They're stacked together. Grab, make sure you grab both. Take your time. Pray. Think. In fact, I'm going to put a, 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 a psalm up here that will help you pray. It's from Psalm 139. It says, Search me, God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. And pray that. Look across the fire into his eyes and ask, Lord, where do you need to restore me? Where do I need to seek your forgiveness? Where do I need to receive and just live in, the, in your grace and mercy? Where am I beating myself up? And, and let me say this to anyone here today. This is a ceremony that Christians celebrate. We remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus. We anticipate his return. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to this. This won't make sense to you unless you, you know his love. And you know, and I don't mean know it here, I mean know it. So when the tray comes by, I want to encourage you, even if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, to grab the elements and place it in the little cup holder in front of you. And you have a moment to think. And you have a moment to decide. Do I want to know the forgiveness of God? Do I want to know that I don't have to live in my failures? I don't have to know that, that my, the things I've done to fail God, those don't have to be counted against me. That God in his love sent his one and only son. And Jesus gave his life. He took your failure, my failure upon himself. And he died for that so that you and I don't have to suffer for that. Don't have to be penalized for that. And instead, we can find by our faith in him, our life in him, forgiveness, new life. We become a new creation. And I want to encourage you not to take the bread and the cup, but to take Jesus. And so in the quiet of this moment, I just want to encourage you, if you want to begin a life with Jesus, that you would just tell him, you'd look across the fire in your heart and say, Jesus, I want you. I want your forgiveness. I want your life. And then, and then take the bread and remember that Jesus gave his body. He, he, he died on the cross for you. And thank him for that. And take the cup and remember that he was willing to shed his blood so that you could have eternal life, abundant life. Thank him for that. And know that you are beginning a new life with him today. And so let's pray for that. Lord, in this moment, we just pray that you would meet us in such a profound way that as we sit across the fire from you, as you work towards restoring us and the things that are breaking us, Lord, we pray that we'd find life but we pray also that there would be hope and grace, anticipation, the fullness of, of restoration that is to come. And so fill our hearts now, we pray, as we choose to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're ready, eat and drink.